0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. Glory to you, Lord. Now, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called over to her and said, Woman, you are set free for your, from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. This is the gospel of our Lord. As we uh, continue our uh, mission support opportunity to talk about the ways that God has blessed us and gifted us with opportunities to continue God's mission and ministry, Uh, we welcome John Zabo this morning to share his experience of God's blessing in the form of uh, a community of care. And so I ask that you welcome John and uh, pray about how God's working through what he has to share with us this morning.
1: Bear with me. Last Saturday, the 17th, was 20 years since we lost Michael to suicide. That day, everything that I thought I knew as certain was shattered in one frightening moment. I felt as though the pain that overwhelmed me was retribution for a whole lot of things that I had done wrong over the years. I felt totally abandoned and forsaken. And I was angry and upset. I had never said no to anything that, was asked, that I was asked to do here, and more importantly, neither had Michael. In fact, shortly after his confirmation, Michael volunteered to serve as a youth representative on council. I can still remember asking God why and citing these very things in my argument. And then God answered me, quietly and in ways that I never would have expected. One of the first things given to me here by Pastor Betty was this book. And as was the case with many others that I read, I felt as though it was written especially for me. And at the back, there's a list of additional resources. It was there that I met, through print, some dear friends, Corinne and Herb Chilstrom and Iris and Jack Bolton. You might recall that Herb was the first presiding bishop of the ELCA. He and Corinne lost their son, Andrew, to suicide in 1984, and the Boltons lost their son, Mitch, in 1977. These two women, through their books, started me on my path of healing. I learned that it was okay, in fact necessary, to shout out why as much as I needed. God never got tired of hearing that question. fact, I sometimes think that he even encouraged me to do that. I also learned that in the rebuilding of my life, God was lovingly putting all the important pieces back together and quietly getting rid of all the junk that I had accumulated over the years. And it wasn't just these books that were written for me. Certain scriptures seemed to say to me, John, do you see what I'm saying here? Or This is especially true for you, John. In sharing their story, Corinne and Herb showed me that no one, even a presiding bishop of a major church, is immune to this awful tragedy. But more importantly, and most importantly, no one is beyond needing God's love and healing. Iris Bolton reinforced what our funeral director, Mike Longfirst, introduced me to, the Compassionate Friends, a safe space where I could completely open up, where I could lay bare my soul and say whatever it was that I was feeling. Although in full disclosure, at my second meeting, all I did was sit there and cry. Couldn't even speak my name. I'd like to be able to explain to you how this healing through sharing each other's pain works, but to be honest, I don't think I can. All I know is that it works. And in the same way, I was asked to reach out to other families who had been visited with this same pain. One day at work at the prison, a member of the clergy, Father Pat Lamb from just across the way at Sacred Heart, was talking to me while he was waiting for one of his parishioners who was one of my customers, to come out for a visit. I told him what had happened to us, and then he asked would I mind talking to one of the families of his church who were dealing with the suicide of their son? Turned out that I knew this family personally from my time at the steel. I just never knew what had happened to them. And then the second instance was when Pastor Gene Sharkey down at Messiah asked me to speak to one of his family members. Again, going through the exact same thing that happened to us just a few years earlier. And speaking of my time at the prison, while I was treated well by my bosses and co-workers when I went back to work after Mike's death, it was the reception and treatment I received from the inmates, yes, the inmates, that touched me the most. Rules be damned, I can't even begin to guess the number of hugs that I received and the times that tears were shared with me. And, as often is the case, when the time came that one of them became a member of this club that nobody wants to belong to, I was there to return the favor, to comfort them as best I could, given the circumstances. And here at St. Mark's, the warmth and love was evident in both word and deed. I've lost count of the hugs and other expressions of caring that you've shown. My favorite, though, was when you dedicated the repainting of the cross in Michael's memory. In those years that we hosted the special service in December, first we called it the Blue Christmas Service, and then later, Longest Night, there we saw how the light of a single candle broke through the darkness of grief, loss, and sadness. And then how several of them, shining together, vanquished that same darkness. Kind of like how we reflect the light of Christ in this world. You know, perhaps it's only fitting that Pastor Brandon asked me to talk to you today. In two weeks, on September the 8th, we celebrate God's work, Our Hands, Sunday. At least for me, this is no longer an abstract concept or something that we just do as part of being an ELCA congregation. For me, it's something that I've experienced firsthand, feeling the love and caring of God, both filling me, but also flowing through me. So thank you, each and every one of you, for all that you've done for me, Maria and Stephanie, over these past 20 years. I'm bound to have my moments in the future sitting in that pew still makes me uneasy but knowing that I can count on your love and your support makes me sure and certain that I can face them.
0: And to that the people of God say, Amen. Amen. We pray with me. God, remove the oak from among us. Repair the breach in our hearts. Help us to bless you with all our soul, and never forget your wonderful deeds. Bring them to us now through this word. And in this meal that we share this day, that in all things we may be raised up as the body of Christ for the world. All these things and all the things of our hearts we lift before you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A question that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Why do I have to go to school? those of you who have school-aged children right now, I'm sure you're trying to answer that as summer vacation dwindles and the academic year kicks up in full force. For those of you whose children are grown, I'm sure that you can testify that you spent your own fair share of time doing the same. And for the rest of us, I'm sure that we can all remember feeling that, that same way and asking that same question, driving our parents and our teachers crazy. And of course, the answer to that question really isn't all that satisfying. Because it's always something along the lines of, because I said so? Or, we all have to do things that we don't like or want to do. For me, it always boiled down to something like, it's a part of life that we have to go through. And even if we don't like it, it's good for us. Have you ever noticed that that's the way that we talk about negative experiences in life? That first paycheck comes and the reality of taxes begin to sink in. It's part of life. People work three jobs to provide for their families and still have to choose between putting food on the table, paying their bills, and providing school supplies for their children. We hate it for them. That's part of life. Person is injured in war, caught in the middle of street violence, dies in a car crash, battles depression, is mistreated because of who they are, where they're from, gets diagnosed with cancer, or suffers from addiction or abuse. It's incredibly sad, it's often shocking, but at the end of the day, many shake our heads, and at the end of all uh, end of it all, the only thing that we feel that we can say with certainty to explain it and say This is why, as well, it's part of life. I don't want to neglect that there are indeed things that are part of life's journey that we can't avoid. But separately, there are things that we encounter that are necessary for it. And while trials and temptations and sickness and suffering and death... Our real experiences in the lives of everyone. They shouldn't be confused with the things that are indeed good for us. The things that are intended to make us grow even when we don't like them. Those things that are necessary for our life shouldn't be confused and lumped in with the horrors of pain and death and suffering and grief. This Israelite woman coming to the temple, suffering for 18 long years, was bent over and quite unable to stand up straight. For 18 years, she was unable to stand up straight in worship. She was unable to look people in the eye. She was unable to see the world around her, beyond the dirt just past her feet. The comment about Satan having bound the woman for 18 years, forcing her to walk in this way, isn't to say that she was possessed. But what it is to say is that her ailment was not from God. Nor was God's desire for her or for anyone else. For anyone else to endure those things. The brokenness of our creation, the things that we accept as normal or as just a part of life, aren't normal to God. Because they don't come from God. And so our bodies, not just our spirit, is in need of redemption and healing and the love of God's goodness. For 18 years, people must have looked on this woman with pity. Until Jesus sees her, calls her over, and says, you are set free. You are liberated from that which has made you sick. With a word and a gentle touch, this woman, forced by her body to look at the ground, now is able to see the world again. To see the world in a new way. And immediately she begins to thank God for removing the brokenness or the stumbling block that kept her from experiencing the fullness of God's kingdom. There's a lot more going on here than just the miraculous healing and liberation offered to this worshiper. It happens in a synagogue where Jesus was teaching in the presence of the entire community. Our relationships... Our formation, our life of worship and prayer, all contribute to the wholeness that God has in store for us. And are just a part, a piece of the medicine that God offers to heal, not only ourselves, but this broken world we live in. We're very quick to say that God will provide, and that is absolutely true. But we say that sometimes forgetting that God has already provided us everything we need for life and for godliness. Because more often than not, what God's provided isn't a miracle cure or a winning lottery ticket. But a faithful disciple to pray for wholeness. To offer care. And to love us. As we journey through death's dark valley. Sometimes that disciple might be you. And other times that disciple might be sent to you. Either way. God's will for our wholeness and our joy is brought into this world. In spite of the brokenness and grief and death. That claims a false hold on our lives and forces us to be bent out of shape. If healing needs to happen in any form, in our bodies, in our minds, in our relationships, in the creation that suffers fire, flood, and famine. We know and trust that God has put us here and works in us through the Spirit to make things whole. And it's for this reason that verse 17 tells us that when Jesus said this, all of his opponents were put to shame. And the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. He says this because it's shameful to deny the fullness of God's kingdom to anyone in need of its redemption. And it's shameful to ignore God's desire for our lives. But at the same time, rejoicing. Rejoicing comes when we experience firsthand The abundant life given to us in Jesus. And so when it comes to. Proclaiming the kingdom of God. Sharing and working God's healing and wholeness in this world. Jesus insists on two things. The first is that the work of God's kingdom is not something that can wait for tomorrow. Or even later in the day. It's here, now, close to us, as we remember that Jesus' first public teaching in Scripture was repent and believe in the gospel, for God's kingdom has come near. The works that mark God's kingdom is never done and never rest until we have all shared in its glory. The second thing that Jesus insists on is that the wholeness of God's kingdom is intended for everyone, free of charge. Jesus doesn't ask for money or demand that she follow him. He simply offered the gift of God, and in return, this woman made the appropriate response giving thanks for all that God had done and sharing that goodness. The good news of healing and wholeness with our friends and our neighbors. Living in a community of care, regardless of how it looks, who it's made up of family members, church members, co workers, and inmates. Receiving and offering God's work of wholeness and holiness. As we live together with others, making disciples of ourselves and those whom we know and love as we grow in faith together through worship and prayer. These things are good for us. And they're at the center of the life that God has in store for us and has granted us in the waters of baptism and the broken body and shed blood of Jesus and holy communion. These things are at the center of our lives. Not just a part of it. This is God's kingdom come to us. Consuming us in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Breathing new life into us by the fire of the Holy Spirit in all that we are and in all that we do. We pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And in these things, God has made it so. We share in the goodness of the kingdom now, a kingdom that will not be moved. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and with awe. For indeed, our God is a consuming fire who blesses us with the kingdom Each and every moment of each and every day. Amen.